It's a great day to live for Jesus. This is the In the Word podcast with Pastor Mike Grover, a chapter-by-chapter devotional journey through the New Testament where we will browse the background, discover the doctrine, and practice the principles of God's Word for us today. You know, it was a little over 10 years ago when the leadership of our church felt like um, we needed to go to two services for a couple of reasons on Sunday morning, to increase capacity to seat people in the auditorium, but then also to open up more classroom space because we could offer two uh, hours of classes versus one. Now, as you could imagine, when you're making any kind of major change like that within a church or any body of people, there was different opinions on both sides. And I wouldn't say there was fighting over it, but there was definitely not complete agreement. Well, just a couple of weeks before we were ready to pull the trigger and go to two services, some guys came out to the church in the middle of the night and gutted 20 of our air conditioner units of all of the copper that was in them. Now, you can imagine a church in Florida with no air conditioning. And I don't care what time of the year it is. If it's in Florida, you need air conditioning. And it's such a horrible thing that happened to us, yet it was that common enemy of those who stole our copper that united our church in such a way that we moved into going to two services with absolutely no dissension or fussing, and God absolutely blessed that decision. And it's interesting how God can use conflict to unite a people together. Now, as we look at chapter six, we'll see in the book of Acts, we'll see that's what took took place here. Now, at the end of chapter five, we see in verse 39, it says, if this is of God, you can't overthrow it, lest you be found even to fight against God. And that was the advice of Gamaliel we looked at earlier in the week. And in verse 40 says, to him, they agreed. And that was all the Jewish religious leaders. And when they called the apostles and they beat them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So the apostles were beaten by the Jewish leaders. They were commanded not to teach and to preach about Jesus. And what did they do? They went out and they taught and they preached about Jesus anyway. And there was great blessing because in the very next verse in Acts chapter six and one, it says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. So the apostles faced persecution, which caused rejoicing, and they just continued to preach and teach. And it was in this context of persecution from the religious leaders of the Jews that the disciples just continued doing the ministry of the word and there was great success and there was great fruitfulness. God was blessing the church and people were coming to faith. Disciples were growing. Change was taking place and uh, in spite of persecution. So rather than the persecution hurting the church, the persecution actually united the church around the common mission that Jesus had given it. And there was great blessing going on. But when Satan couldn't have his way through outward persecution on the church, he changed his tactic. And he went from outward persecution or outward problem that just united the church together. 
and he turned to a more sinister strategy of inward dissension because it says in chapter 6 verse 1 in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration now what's going on here is you have a church and you have primarily Jewish people, Hebrews, but then you also have some Grecians or Hellenists. These would be people who did convert to Judaism, but they weren't born Jews. They were proselytes that came from among the Greek culture there. And there was kind of a dissension now. Hey, you're ignoring our widows over your widows. Kind of accusations here of, you know, uh, discrimination. And in verse two, it says, uh, then the twelve, the apostles, called the multitude of disciples to them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brothers, look out among you for seven men of honest report who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I love this verse five solution. It says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now look at the result in verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were added to the faith. So when Satan couldn't have his way through outward persecution, he turned to the tactic of inward dissension. And we see this kind of neglect that's going on in the church. Now, what's interesting, it wasn't something that was made up. It was an actual problem in the church. Some of the widows weren't being taken care of properly. So Satan doesn't have to necessarily use a lie. What he can do sometimes is turn attention to a problem and maybe the lie is that no one cares or, or people don't love you. So the lie in this case was more about the motive of why the widows were being neglected rather than the fact that they actually were. But I love what happened because God gave the apostles wisdom immediately and they said to the people, here's how we're going to solve the problem. We want you to choose people from among you that you respect, men, and then give us their names and then we're going to basically go through them and we're going to kind of make sure these guys are fit and qualified. And when they did that, it says the apostles then set them over the task. Now, this is really the first um, time we see in the Bible what we know of today as the ministry of the deacons. So what was the ministry of the deacons? It was to put out spiritual fires. It was to serve tables. And the word deacon literally means a servant. And, and the whole point was the word of God was being so fruitful through the ministry of uh, the apostles that it would not make sense for them to stop doing the most important thing, which was teaching and preaching the word um, where people's souls were at stake to go and start taking care of practical needs within the church, even though there really were practical needs. You see, that was not the job of the apostles. It became the job of the deacons. And I love our deacons at Fellowship and uh, their primary responsibility is to take care of their widows. We take our deacons, we divide all the widows in the church, we give each deacon a couple of them, and their job is to take care of them. They call them every month, they check on them, they make sure their needs are being met. And then I get an emailed report every month from each of our deacons telling me how their widows are doing. So it allows our pastors to focus on the main thing, the ministry of the word and prayer, because we have the spiritual firefighters in our midst, which are deacons. So basically the apostles say, you nominate, we'll appoint. And what happened? The church was blessed and the gospel increased. 
The thing I want to apply today out of this passage that I think is so important for us to understand is this. The effectiveness of a church is always going to be in direct proportion to the unity of its people. I have never seen a church that's fighting be effective in the gospel and be, in, be effective in reaching people. So the effectiveness of the church, which we need to define how God defines, the effectiveness of a church is not how many people they can put in seats. Uh, it's not how great of socials they have. The effectiveness of a church is how much attention and focus they put on the ministry of the word, on outreach, on discipleship, on grounding people in the teachings of God's word so that they will become more committed followers of Jesus Christ. And when we fuss and when we fight over things that may feel important to us or maybe may be important to us on some level, but when we fuss and fight over that at the expense or the priority of the ministry of the word, we're actually playing right into the hands of the devil. And so you see someone that gets offended over something or they don't like the way something is, and it may genuinely be an important thing to them, but they elevate the importance of that thing over the importance of the church's gospel ministry and outreach. Man, that is just being a tool of the devil and what he wants to accomplish because he wants to get that church fussing and fighting so that they turn their attention away from the gospel and they turn their attention more towards selfish needs within the church. You see, what we have to do is we have to align our priorities individually with the gospel. And when we do have problems in the church, we have to look for solutions that elevate servanthood and elevate outreach. And so how did God really move to resolve this problem? He got people serving. He got people focused on meeting needs rather than wanting their own needs met. And so he calls people and they start serving these widows. And by the way, there's no way this handful of apostles, um, deacons were doing all of that work themselves. They were just simply the leaders over the task of taking care of the widow's needs. And man, so what did they do? They prioritized, they aligned their priorities with the gospel. They looked for solutions to problems that elevated servanthood and outreach. And then they freed their leaders to focus on the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Now, if someone comes to me and they say, hey, this person has a need, I immediately will point them to their deacon. And I will immediately say, hey, these are the guys. I'm not doing that because I don't care. I'm doing that because that's the biblical thing to do. That's what the Bible says. Because my job and our leadership's job as far as um, pastors is the preaching and the teaching of God's word. And so that's just a biblical priority. Satan wants to hinder the ministry of the gospel. Satan wants to turn our attention toward fussing and fighting. But when we align our priorities with the gospel, when we look for solutions that increase servanthood and outreach, and when we free the hands of our pastors to preach and teach the word of God, you know what? Everyone wins. The church wins, the gospel wins, and God's desire to be glorified in the earth wins as well. So the word for today is simply this. When it comes to your personal needs within the church, look for solutions that elevate the ministry of the word, not that detract and take away from it. And you know what? If we all do these things, man, we'll just continue to see fruitfulness and blessing uh, in the ministry of the word and in the ministry of the gospel.
in our communities and beyond. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey through the New Testament.